It just doesn't get any worse, right? All these children, beautiful children, and their heroic teachers, all dead. 19 children, two teachers, and oh, by the way, have you heard about this? This just came through. One teacher, Irma Garcia, who was killed, well, her husband Joe went to a memorial and then died of a heart attack shortly after. So Irma's dead, her husband Joe is dead. They leave behind four children. Now, we've got to ask some tough questions about what happened. Now, the shooter we know was killed by law enforcement, but it looks like it took too long for that to happen, way too long. Now, there was a standoff, and parents arrived, and they were irate beyond consolation that their children were inside with a madman, and the cops, a lot of them didn't seem to be doing that much. You can see one person, we believe they were pleading desperately to go in there, even themselves, give them body armor. Now, we understand that police have to provide perimeter security. They can't let everybody go in there. But were they aggressive enough? Serious questions have to be asked. Later, parents, you'll hear more screaming. And again, uh, law enforcement just saying they're going to have to wait. Hey, hey, we got guys going in to get kids, okay? You heard what he said there? We're going in to get kids. Were they? Or were they too busy with the perimeter, calling for SWAT equipment, and waiting for the Border Patrol to show up? We support law enforcement, but we have to ask tough questions and make sure that this doesn't happen again. A lot of time elapsed from when the police first showed up to when this gunman was actually put down. So people are concerned, very concerned. And quite frankly, the officers, the officials, they seem to be confusing the situation. A briefing this afternoon left, I believe, all of us with a lot more questions than answers. And there was a lot of bureaucratic double talk. So there's a lot of information, a lot of moving parts. We have a lot of people involved in this investigation, a lot of information. Then we have to do a lot of interviews. So we just started. We started on Tuesday. Today's Thursday. We're still grabbing a lot of information. We won't stop until we get all the answers that we possibly can. There's a lot of information I'm going to give you. There's some new information as of Tuesday that I wanted to clear up once the information is, 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 is obtained. And we're able to confirm and cooperate that. We want to make sure we're pushing out the right information. Early on, when we came in, we were receiving a lot of information from a lot of different locations. I want to share some of that. It's a small piece of information right now, but it'll grow within days. Why are they holding back the information? This is not going to make it into criminal court. The, the individual, the suspected killer, is dead. He's going to let us know a small piece of the information, put it out, put it all out. They're holding it back. 
hoping that we lose interest, which we will, by the way, and everybody's going to move on. But there are serious questions about a delay in the response. Listen. According to the information I have, he went in at 1140. He walks, and I'm going to approximate 20 feet, 30 feet. He makes a right. He walks into the hallway. He makes a right, walks another 20 feet, turns left into a schoolroom, into a classroom that has doors open in the middle. Officers are there, the initial officers, they receive gunfire. They don't make entry initially because of the gunfire they're receiving. And if you listen closely, it sounds like nothing is done for another hour or so. Yeah, there's gunfire. But then what? They don't make entry through the door. What about through the window? I don't know of any classroom in America that doesn't have a window. Do you? Next. We have officers calling for additional resources. Everybody that's in the area, tactical teams. We need equipment. We need specialty equipment. We need body armor. We need precision riflemen, negotiators. So during that time that they're making those calls to bring in help to solve this problem and stop it immediately, they're also evacuating personnel. I say personnel, students, teachers. There's a lot going on, a lot complex situation. They're measuring, they're measuring. Approximately an hour later, U.S. Border Patrol tactical teams arrive. They make entry, shoot and kill the suspect. Border Patrol, Border Patrol. They're making phone calls for specialty equipment, the body armor, the negotiators, so they can solve this problem immediately once all of these resources arrive. No, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Something's not adding up. Next. Immediately, immediately, numerous officers. Now it turns into a rescue operation. How do we save these children? How do we save these children? It would have been easier to save the children if you reached them an hour earlier. An hour elapsed, 40 minutes to an hour, while they were negotiating and getting negotiators and the specialty equipment. Meanwhile, children were inside a classroom, the madman with the gun. That's wrong. That's, by the way, against sound law enforcement practice. It is, and we'll show you that in a moment. Next. They were taking gunfire, negotiations, and developing a team to make entry, to stop them. Is he trying to mislead us? Negotiations. Negotiations. Well, they called for negotiators, but there was no negotiation. This wasn't a hostage situation. And he acknowledged that they never talked to this guy. They never talked to the gunman. Why is he using the word negotiations? Is he trying to confuse us and just... Running out the clock. We're trying to give you the information just a little bit at the time, just waiting for this to all blow over until the drive-by media is off onto something else. Next. So we started the show a few moments ago by showing you this video. 
parents, irate, desperate to get to their children, asking police, what's going on? Why aren't you going in? I've seen it. You've seen it. That official who spoke, that was just a little while ago. He pretended, or maybe he hasn't seen it himself. I have heard that information, but we have not verified that yet. So what, that, part, what part haven't you verified? We have not verified is that, is that a true statement or not? Or is it just rumor out there? So you got to understand, we're getting a lot of information we're trying to track down and see what is true. We want to vet it. That's all I have. We understand. Yeah, we're all getting a lot of information and we're trying to make sense of it. Why are you holding it back? Why are you trying to confuse the issue? What's happening here? Because guess what? When the cops show up, they're supposed to go in. They're supposed to, they're supposed to risk their lives. I'm not, I'm not convinced that happened here. I'm sorry. I support law enforcement. Going back to Columbine. Columbine, you know what they did? Um, they waited for the SWAT team to arrive. Now, a lot of people died while they were waiting for the SWAT team to arrive. And then they decided, basically, law enforcement coast to coast, that this was not the way to operate. You have to move in fast with whatever you got. Tactics have changed because of Columbine. In that era, police waited for a SWAT team. And in those minutes, the shooters kept killing. It changed everything. Prior to Columbine, nobody understood what the term active shooter meant. Like I said, it was the wrong plan. We were not forward thinking enough to say, wait a minute, by the time SWAT gets there, it's way too late. And it took this, um, it took Columbine for us to change our mind. And now it's taking other events to change our mind, to remind us. This happened at the Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016. Do you remember this in Orlando, Florida? That nightclub, uh, very popular in the gay community. Yeah, they were reluctant to go inside the cops. Now, it's hard to bring this up, to be honest, because we love law enforcement and we support law enforcement, but you gotta. We can't have this happen again, all cops waiting around in the parking lot for uh, the heavy-duty guys to arrive. Sorry, this comes with the job. But again, Pulse Nightclub, the question was raised, wasn't pounded, but it was raised. There are questions about the police response and the timing of their assault. The terrorists spent three hours inside Pulse nightclub before police assaulted the building and put an end to the savagery. Three hours. Would more lives have been saved if the police went in sooner? Somebody said, and and it was only three hours later, and I said, yeah, what? (laughs) Three hours later? That, That is inconceivable. It's wrong. And Parkland. Parkland in Florida. We had a situation there where... The response just wasn't robust enough and it wasn't fast enough. How many cops showed up and how long they waited outside while students and teachers were dead and dying inside? It took officers 11 minutes to enter the building. Uh, There was a lot of confusion about the direction that the shots were coming from. When a Sunrise police officer arrived at the scene of the Parkland shooting, he encountered several Broward Sheriff deputies already there. One told him, hey, be careful, the guy's got a rifle. And another said, don't go in. So maybe the police have to take a page from the handbook of firefighters. I mean, when there's a fire, they just go in, right? I mean, they don't wait for the fire to be extinguished. They go in. Um, But let's face it, 
cops are under attack, they're under siege, and they have been for a long time. They are struggling to survive. There's a whole movement sanctioned by Democrats to cancel police, to defund the police, to stigmatize them as systemically racist, to burn down their police headquarters in Minneapolis and say it's a good thing. And all this stuff, this this campaign for social and racial justice and that cops are the enemy, they're fighting for survival. And that makes it, I think, difficult for them to focus on excellence on performing their job at the very, very best. Who knows, but what happened in Texas still could have been a terrible casualty of all that nonsense that started two years ago. Okay, stay with us. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, says that uh, trans people, LGBTQ people, never commit nasty crimes. No, 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 no. It's always angry white men. Sorry, AOC. You're wrong again, and we're going to show you very, very powerfully. We'll be right back. Hi, Rob Carson here. If you love watching Newsmax, you're really going to love listening to our new podcast. It's called the Newsmax Daily. I host it, and I give you the best briefing of the big news of the day, top newsmaker interviews, and even, yes, a few laughs. I know it's hard to believe. So if you're uh, driving, walking, exercising, just about anywhere, you can connect with the Newsmax Daily with me, Rob Carson. Find our podcast online or go to iPhone, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, and more, and start listening today. All I can can say is that that the the fake fake news just just doesn't doesn't get get it, do they? they? they And the fake news, the mainstream media, let's face it, um, they're biased. They're prejudiced against uh, white men. Oh, boy, responsible for all kinds of evil, right? To the exclusion, basically, of every other race, creed, you name it, white men are the worst. Most of these shooters are young white men. That's the root of a lot of this. It's, it's white privilege, it's white nationalism, it's anger, it's rage, it's incels, it's all these different kinds of things, which is one of the reasons why background checks and other things aren't really working because many of these angry white men, these modern day M&Ms are basically ticking time bombs. This is about a trained, cohesive ideology of hatred and violence, whether it is explicit white supremacy Yeah, that white supremacy, all of it. Hey, let's face it, when it comes to shootings, mass shootings, yeah, we got a lot of white gunmen out there. If you want to focus on them, you can, although if you want to be objective, you can also take a look at the non-white mass shooters, okay? Plenty of those. You can look through this through a phony racial lens, or you can actually address reality. AOC, of course, wants to look through it through a phony racial lens because she's not a serious person. Although, unfortunately, we have to take her seriously. Take a look. Yes, she flails about wildly, but she is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, 13 million followers on Twitter, 8.5 million followers on Instagram. Now, that may not mean much to you and me, but in Congress these days, that is a big deal. All of them, they just want to be influencers. Let's see, what else does she have? Uh, Oh, Time Magazine, Person of the Year. And believe it or not, she's going to be old enough to be president in 2024. 
And there are some very serious people in the Democratic Party who believe, yes, she will be a major contender for president of the United States. So we're going to have to deal with this person and, I don't know, try to, uh, well, defeat her because her ideas are crazy. All right. White men are evil and LGBTQ people. Never, ever would they do anything wrong. We have the radicalization of young men. This is an issue. Um, young women are not doing this. Young non-binary people are not doing this. Trans people are not doing this. This is an issue that we have. Uh, trans people, non-binary people, uh, uh, they're doing all this stuff, actually. I mean, just like not to cast aspersions against uh, anybody in general, but there have been transgenders like Christian Jeppers who attacked a man recently on a New York subway with a hammer. We also have a transgender serial killer. Yes, yeah, serial killer. Uh, killed at least three people, allegedly a third. Transgender woman has spent 50 years in prison, uh, recently paroled and reportedly or allegedly killed somebody else in 2019, a transgender man in Denver, a school shooting one killed, eight injured. Donna Perry, transgender woman, serial killer of three people. We can go on and on. Some really famous ones. Eileen Vornos. This was a big case back in the 90s. Serial killer of six people. Happened to be a lesbian. Uh, ooh, this was a famous one in 1987. Lesbian couple. Serial killer of five people. And just this week, this individual, who we believe is transitioning from one sex to another, we're not sure exactly, terrorized people on the train and look what this individual did to an innocent passenger to her hair see that grabbing her hair making her sit down Now he's going to start uh, kicking that window. <laughs> Just your ordinary commute in New York City. AOC, sorry, these are not all uh, angry white men. They look like all kinds of people, even young girls who might be lesbian. Have you ever heard of this song? Tell me why I don't like Mondays. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. So this is by the uh, Boomtown Rats. I don't like Mondays. Well, they got that from Brenda Spencer back in 1979. She opened fire at an elementary school. She lived right across the street, took a rifle through her living room window, shot it up. And um, she's in prison now. She was recently up for parole, denied parole. Uh, that's where the name of the uh, song came from. They asked her, why did you do this? And she said, I don't like Mondays. She happens to be on that uh, LGBTQ spectrum that uh, AOC thinks is so important. And maybe most famously of all, have you ever seen Dog Day Afternoon? Dog back there, man! Get over there, will ya? He wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. I got always gonna kill you. Attica! 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 
great movie, great movie. So uh, the backstory here, and if you watch the movie, it's based on a true story. Al Pacino is playing a guy named John Vodovich, who happened to be gay. He robbed the bank, get this, to get enough money for his wife, who was a man, to get a sex change operation. So uh, AOC, when you say, what did she say again about LGBTQ? Young women are not doing this. Young non-binary people are not doing this. Trans people are not doing this. This is an issue that we have. Uh, you got issues. Um, <laughs> people are people. It doesn't really matter the gender. It doesn't matter that I'm a white man, straight, all that stuff. You want to hold it against us. You shouldn't. You really should take people individually. And not everything trans, not everything uh, drag is good. A lot of us don't think this should be around children. Now, in New York City, there is a, a program where drag queens read to children. I thought I was hallucinating, but this is a real thing. Uh, here's the story, as they say on their website. Uh, what we do, Drag Story Hour NYC produces storytelling and creative arts programs for children and teens presented by local drag artists in libraries, schools, and other community spaces. Uh, this is for kids, by the way. Yes, designed for children ages three to eight, local drag performers trained by children's librarians read picture books and touch on themes of diversity and difference. Uh, numerous programs offered, Drag Story Hour, Drag Story Hour for neurodiverse kids of all ages, and then there's a makeup tutorial. Uh, and, oh, by the way, made possible in part with public funds from the New York State Council on the Arts and with the support of the Office of the Governor and the New York State Legislature. Well, I'm going to make this a personal crusade. I think I can be effective in calling attention, at least in New York, to this hideous program. This should not be funded. And I just might call the police about it as well. Stay with us. Two years ago, George Floyd died. That was a bad thing. But so many lies were told about that case and so many myths have developed and taken hold. We're going to bust some coming back. George Floyd, two years ago this week, he died, and that was bad, but the reaction to what happened, it was a, such an overreaction, over-the-top, kind of ridiculous. The country lost its mind, and the media, they either ignored the truth or just flat-out lied because they didn't like the truth. Number one, did you know those cops were actually at one point trying to take care of George Floyd? He was in the police car, and he started to have a panic attack and he begged to be put on the ground. I want to lay on the ground. I want to lay on the ground. So they put him on the ground. That was that was a humane gesture. Also this, it was obscured and minimized, but I think it would have lessened the racial aspect of this, don't you? Four cops involved. Two of them were people of color. One was African-American, one was Asian. I'm surprised uh, and disappointed that there wasn't a fuller discussion about that, particularly the African-American officer. This was put in such stark racial terms, wasn't it? Also, 
George Floyd, at one point, they found no neck compression, no evidence of asphyxia from the official autopsy, the initial one, no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. Mr. Floyd had underlying health conditions, including coronary heart disease. The combined effects of any potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. And he had a lot of fentanyl in his system. It's right there. Now, the it got political, though, this, this report. So the initial medical examiner came under a lot of pressure. His name, I believe, is Dr. Baker. And, uh, well, people weren't happy with what he wrote in that initial report. In fact, one Dr. Mitchell, the former medical examiner in Washington, D.C., wrote a pretty aggressive letter to him as a concerned citizen saying, I don't like your findings. This was documented in court papers. Mitchell said, you don't want to be the medical examiner who tells everyone they didn't see what they saw. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room and be wrong. Mitchell said neck compression has to be, has to be in the diagnosis. A lot of political pressure. And oh, by the way, the horrible maneuver that we all saw, the knee on the neck. I can't understand that. I don't understand that. And I don't understand that the Metropolitan Police Department in Minneapolis actually had that as an authorized maneuver in their own handbook, that the knee could be placed on the neck to restrain a detainee. I didn't write it. I don't think it ever should have been written, but it was. It was in their handbook, and nobody talks about it. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, moving on. Another amazing moment, and hopefully this is the end of Beto O'Rourke. You saw what happened in Texas yesterday. This is the number for the district attorney's office for victim services. The number is 830-278-2916. And at this time, I will uh, pass the mic to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. So sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Hey. So sit down. Get out of line. No, you need to get his ass out of here. Just in the place to talk to this over. This is totally predictable when you Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. I'm sure you are out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch. It would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. Absolutely right. He's a sick guy to try to make that into a political issue. You know, he's running for governor and taking on Governor Abbott right there in that moment. A political stunt. Who is this Beto, by the way? Just two terms in the House of Representatives. And he thinks he's all that, doesn't he? What else does he have going for him? One loss to Ted Cruz in Texas. And he thinks he should be the next president of the United States. The audacity of this guy, a loser, to run for president and then to tell everybody, not only am I running, I was born. I was born for this moment. Isn't that how it went in Vanity Fair? Yeah, look at this. I want to be in it. Man, I'm just born. I'm just born to be in it. Yeah, right. Well, basically, he's a rich kid and uh, married into incredible money, went to a prep school, all that stuff. And, uh, oh, like a lot of rich, spoiled kids, he was arrested. He was busted for uh 
think he was breaking and entering or something like that, and some alcohol-related issues. Um, he was a nanny. He was a nanny for a little while on the Upper West Side. And that's pretty much the story of uh, Beto O'Rourke. But, you know, in a world where Barack Obama can become president, and in America where Barack Obama can go from... Uh, Zero to hero in four years without any accomplishment. So many people are looking at themselves and saying, yeah, why not me? Accomplishment, record, achievement, values. That's why not you, Beto. And hopefully never again. Hey, stay with us. Bernard Carrick will be joining us, the former police commissioner. What did happen there in Texas? What about their response? Why did they wait so long before going in? We'll be right back. So what we have here, parents um, outside the Robb Elementary School, desperate for their children to be saved and urging law enforcement to go in. Some of them look like they're being detained by police. We now know that the police uh, waited almost an hour for the Border Patrol to respond and actually take out the gunman who shot 19 children and two teachers. What happened there? That doesn't sound like an ideal response, not at all. Bernard Carrick is the former New York City Police Commissioner. He was in office on September 11, 2001, and a Newsmax contributor. Welcome back, Commissioner. What are your thoughts? Thanks, over- you bet. What are your thoughts overall? I, I have my own, but it, it does seem like there was a failure here. You know what, Greg, uh, you know, is uh, it, it, nobody's more uh, bigger supporters of the law enforcement than I am you. Um, your father was a New York City police commissioner. You know and understand the job as well as I do. Um, the video you just showed to me is pretty disturbing. Now, I don't know what was going on on the inside. I don't know if they had people on the inside. I don't know. I, I we, There's a lot we don't know. But here's what I can tell you. If there was nobody on the inside and they didn't have somebody engaging the suspect when all this was going on, I'm looking at cops standing there with plated body armor, with heavy weapons that could have been in the school, could have been engaging the target. Um, I I don't get it. There's something missing, and I'm hoping, I'm praying, um, that it's not what's portrayed, because what's portrayed is a lack of leadership, a lack of response, um, and it could be really bad. So the chief, I'm sorry, the, 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 the official who spoke this afternoon said something about the timeline, and this may answer some of your questions. I think, quite frankly, he was deliberately obfuscating the situation. I don't think he wants us understanding everything, and he would like this to blow over, uh, and, you know, everyone's going to move on. But listen to this. This is... Uh, this is timeline number two, if you don't mind. We have officers calling for additional resources. Everybody that's in the area, tactical teams. We need equipment. We need specialty equipment. We need body armor. We need precision riflemen, negotiators. So during that time that they're making those calls to bring in help, to solve this problem and stop it immediately, they're also evacuating personnel, I say personnel, students, teachers. There's a lot going on. 
a lot complex situation. They're measuring. They're measuring. Approximately an hour later, U.S. Border Patrol tactical teams arrive. They make entry, shoot and kill the suspect. I mean, right there, uh, waiting for the the heavy guns to arrive. Um, Sir, I don't like it. You know what, Greg, and uh, you and I have talked about this historically for the last 15, 20 years in the aftermath of September 11th. Um, there's no softer targets in this country than our grammar schools, our high schools, universities. We've had these types of problems before. And what, what I've seen happen and what I think is happening here, instead of being proactive, instead of being preemptive, instead of planning and protocols in place for the original responding officers to engage, what it sounds like, what it sounds like, the original responding officers were basically evacuating what they could on the outside, um, but there was no engagement. And they were waiting for specialty weapons. As he said, they were waiting for body armor and other things. You know what? That gets people killed. That time period gets people killed. At the end of the day, the initial officers, and, and this is, I've talked about this you know, for the last three or four years where the initial patrol officers, they've got to be prepared for that challenge. They've got to be prepared for that engagement. They don't have time to sit back like in the movies in the 70s and 80s. Let's call SWAT. You don't do that these days, especially with domestic terrorism, uh, you know, the, the way some of these attacks are and attacks like we've seen with these young kids. You have to engage the shooter and engage him immediately. There's yeah. no waiting. In this case, um, I'm hope. I, look, uh, you know, we don't know yet. We don't know. We could be wrong, um, but it looks like they were not engaging the target. They were doing everything on the periphery, and uh, in an hour, and by my count, about an hour and fifteen minutes went by before he was dead. So if that's the case, if that's what happened, and it does look to me like that happened, we support law enforcement. They've got to get better. Everybody has to get better. And I wonder, though, over the past two years and all this Black Lives Matter nonsense and try to cancel cops and defund cops, cops are just struggling to survive, to remain as intact law enforcement agencies. They have not been able, perhaps, to pursue excellence. And I'd like to see excellence pursued once again. Bernard Carrick. Legendary former police commissioner in office on September 11, 2001, of course, by Rudy's side. We thank you again. Thanks, Greg. All right. To be continued. And we'll be right back with Devin Nunes on the Sussman trial. So that is Michael Sussman, a lawyer who was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign and may have been a prime mover in the Russia hoax. He is accused of lying to the FBI. He's on uh, federal trial right now. Arguments are being heard in Washington, D.C. This trial should be huge. It should be so big. Everybody should be talking about it. But 
Since it implicates Hillary Clinton, the fake news is trying to minimize it as much as possible. <laughs> Congressman Devin Nunes, retired Congressman Devin Nunes. He is now the CEO of the Trump Media and Technology Group, Truth Social. Welcome back, Congressman. Great to see you. How are you? I'm doing well, Greg, but you're exactly right. The fake news is totally ignoring this. They just want it to go away. The good news is, is there's more to come, though. Uh, well, uh, let's get to the more to come in a moment. Hey, right now, first of all, what did he do? Put it in lay terms. What did this guy do? It's really, really simple. So this is a small piece of the large Russia collusion hoax. What Durham did is he found something very specific, and that is that he lied to the FBI. So he went into the FBI, said that he he has there's a text message because we can now talk. We've seen all the evidence now. And I think I'll just kind of outline quickly the, the, the pieces that we know, I think, that are critical text message from him to James Baker at the FBI saying that he's just a good Samaritan. I just want to come in, not on behalf of any client, but I have some important information to tell you. Baker then says the same thing. That's exactly what happened. He came in, said he wasn't working for any client. Well, from our investigation way back in late 2017 in the Congress, we had him, we had Sussman under oath, and he actually said that he was working on behalf of a client when he went into the FBI to take the Alabank. So Durham had a really good uh, position there, which is, look, either you lied to the Congress or you lied to the FBI, which one was it? <laughs> so that's what Sussman's on trial for. And I think the good thing in all of this has been that, you know, there's been so much that has come out over the last couple of weeks uh, looks like there's a lot more indictments to come from my perspective. A couple of things. Why didn't uh, Mueller, why didn't Mueller find out about this? Mueller was working on that for, what, two years and didn't put his findings out until 18, actually even later than that, 19. Why didn't Mueller find this? Well, Greg, because if you go out to not look for something, mm -hmm. you're definitely not going to find it. And so... Mueller was there as the cover-up, right? Remember, you know, just take you back quickly to 2016. The whole thing's supposed to be an October surprise, kind of blows up in their face. Donald Trump becomes president. They then continue spying on him. They use what we now know, this Jaffe character with another firm that was actually literally spying on, on Trump in the White House. And then after that, you have Comey, who then Remember, he discloses his notes. He gets fired by gets fired by Trump, discloses uh, illegally leaks, I think, classified information at the time that, of course, never got prosecuted yeah. either. But it, it started the special counsel. So the special counsel, you're exactly right when I say special counsel, Mueller, you know, that whole episode in U.S. history is one that should be looked at. I don't know if Durham actually is able to get there, but we do know this. We learned this this week. There are FBI agents that we found out who they are this week, that they were definitely involved in the Mueller probe. So all of these guys were in on it. DOJ, the dirty cops at the FBI, the Clinton campaign, the DNC, and most importantly, the fake news media. So you said uh, there's more to come. Um, I hope there is. We know there are more yeah. people involved. Durham has been taking a long time. What is to come? Well, look, I think you have to give Durham credit. He hasn't leaked and he has to take a long time because, look, you think that Merrick Garland, the current attorney general or the Biden administration is going to cooperate. I mean, look, I went through that whole list of people that were involved in this. I'm sorry, I forgot one of the largest ones. The Obama and Biden administration were involved in this. They were briefed on this all through 2016 and knew damn well it was a Hillary Clinton dirty trick. So 
what's to come? There's another there's another indictment that's already out there. Uh, it's going to start in Northern Virginia, which should be a lot better jury, hopefully a better judge, involving the supposed Russian source who was actually living in America, working at Liberal Brookings Institute, uh, who was the source behind the Steele dossier. So that's coming up. But what we found out this week is there are now we now know from from this trial uh, that in evidence and people who testified, there are current FBI agents also uh, under investigation. And then, look, this guy who yeah. did the spying on behalf of the Clinton campaign and the DNC that is involved in the Sussman trial, this guy named Jaffe. I mean, look, I have to think that he's seriously being considered to be indicted by by Durham. But we just have to wait and see. Can't wait. Can't wait. You're right. It's long, but it's worth it. It's worth the wait, actually. I'm enjoying it very much. Devin Nunes, former congressman, now the CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group. Truth Social. We see Trump is truthing like crazy. It's really hot. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. All right. We'll be right back. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. And Joe is always wrong. <laughs> when the Second Amendment was passed, you could actually own a cannon. Even the fake news points it out. It's uh, it's in black and white. Yeah, you could buy a cannon. And by the way, you can buy a cannon today. Uh, you can. It's not considered a firearm, by the way, and you don't need a background check. So if you want a cannon, you can get one. Hey, Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted a tank and he got one. Remember, Arnold, he used to be cool. He used to be, uh, well, and then he went all woke and weird. But he wanted a tank and he's rich enough to buy one. And when he got one, everybody thought it was swell. He bought a tank. Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. After hard work, laboring and slaving away, I finally have achieved my lifelong dream. And it is not to do Terminator or to do Conan the Barbarian or anything like that. No, not at all. But to finally possess my own f***ing tank. Look at this. That is pretty cool. I would love to have a tank or a uh, Humvee or something along those lines. Not a big fan of Arnold, but that's kind of cool. Hey, thank you for watching very, very much. Have a great Memorial Day. I'm going to be off for a couple of days, but uh, you'll be in good hands. Thank you. Thank you for supporting Newsmax. And uh, we're proud of what we're doing here. Again, have a great Memorial Day. Let's remember our fallen. And uh, I'm going to remember all the people who work here. Very, very grateful to all of you guys. So see you next week. Many, many thanks. Stinchfield is next.